Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 268 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Today we are taking a little bit of a different approach and instead of picking Allie's brain on a functional medicine topic, we're actually going to dig into Allie's career growth and maybe talk a little bit about just kind of surviving life these days, if you want sure. to call it that. <laughs> um, so including updated information on advancing your education or career in functional medicine, personal updates on her new property and the start of her orchard project, which I'm really excited to hear about, um, current perspective on pandemic and all of the things. Yes, this will be a fun conversation and we will cover some great information for those of you that are feeling in transition of career or transition of life and all of the elements of how to kind of recalibrate, reassess where you're at. We're not to the end of the year and New Year's resolutions yet, but this is like that pause, pivot, go inward and think about what you want out of this next year to come. Totally. Especially if you feel like 2021 smacked you in the face, like... Yes. It was fast. (laughs) Yes, for sure. And like for me personally right now with everything that's going on, it's a really time of big feels. Um, This journey kind of full circle has allowed me a lot of pause. I actually cried last week when we were at the orchard and um, well, there's no fruit trees yet. It's space, Uh, but the high fence is up and um, the chicken coop is built. And it was just one of those like, holy cow, how did I get here? What were the steps that brought me here? And three years ago, I wouldn't have thought I was here, but funny enough, 12 years ago, if I was envisioning what my future life would look like in a dream, it would be kind of like this. Mm-hmm. So what's the ebb and flow in between? How does that all work? And um, I'll also be sharing some inside scoop and personal lessons in functional medicine as a career. Yes. So we have episode 43, which was like your first this was recalibration. your second episode with uh-huh. me, Becky, right yeah, yeah. after recovering from veganism. Oh boy, I don't <laughs> want to listen back to that, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure it's got some gems, but yes. <laughs> we've come a long way. Yes. Uh, but that was called Finding Your Bliss, Allie's Recalibration. And that was really where you shifted from Houston to a fully virtual practice. Um, I don't know if you had been on the road and we're back to, you know, in Austin yet, but you were shifting and moving to Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then episode 95 was on starting your journey in functional medicine. So we talked more about kind of nitty gritty of like some of the programs Didactic, out there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I shared like the master's program that I had did and uh, did, did, done. <laughs> I I did. Yes. You had did. I had did. <laughs> Just like a good yep. master's in science. Yep, exactly. <laughs> good thing it wasn't a master's in English. Um, <laughs> uh, what functional medicine is, tons of resources there. So that's a really good one to go back and listen to, especially if you are um, a dietetic intern or student and kind of feeling out what's next. Yes. And in that episode, we even talked about being a therapeutic 
lifestyle educator or an NTP, a nutrition therapy practitioner, what are the limitations of going forward with your RD or without the credentials of the RD and so much in between. So if you're at the career of nutrition and considering dietetics or functional medicine in that world, that would be the episode, episode 95 to listen to there. And today we'll give some updates on, you know, my uh, background from Bastyr, how they've been managing pandemic and um, kind of feedback because I've given such praise to them in the past that I need to kind of like equal out the playing field and give an update on what's happening right now over there, which it's not good. (laughs) Anyway. All right. Um, Let's just have a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Santa Cruz Medicinals. Yes. So I am a huge proponent of CBD, cannabidiol. It is a component that plays with our endocannabinoid system of the body. So we're all wired to respond to cannabidiol. And we endogenously produce this compound, but when we're under high stress or we're dealing with chronic inflammation, we often need some boost from the outside or supplemental support. So when we're looking at CBD, often a lot of the products out there are not potent enough to really make a therapeutic impact. Our friends at Santa Cruz Medicinals suggest a 100 milligram a day challenge where for one week you take 100 milligrams of cannabidiol or CBD. Uh, This could be split up into two or three doses throughout the day. So you might use their 6,000 milligram deep sleep caps, which each capsule has 50 milligrams of CBD along with valerian root, L-theanine to aid as a melatonin free option to wind you down and get into that deep REM cycle of sleep and that'd be 50 milligrams. You might use their tinctures. Uh, They have various forms as well as just their straight up MCT oil tincture in various potencies. So that could be um, another 33 to 50 milligrams, depending on how you dose that. And then you might even incorporate um, a topical option for CBD, like their Epsom salt, which is a fabulous blend with some aromatics in there. Um, A great way to kind of wind down at the end of the day. They also have a topical pain salve, which incorporates CBD, um, a great way to rub on sore muscles or injuries and reduce inflammation and pain in that area. And in the world of pain, they also have some turmeric caps. These can be taken in addition to our super turmeric or inflammazyme, um, but these do have a potent dose, 500 milligrams of CBD. So this is like more post-operative or severe menstrual cramps. I've been um, recommending for people that are dealing with the severe freight train migraine of COVID. We've had a recent influx with our community here, um, direct like friends and family. And so that's been one that I've been uh, suggesting as a tool there as well. Um, When you're looking at Santa Cruz Medicinals, we love that they third-party test for both potency, knowing that you're getting something that is going to make an impact, but also purity, knowing that you're not getting toxins, uh, mold, or contaminants in your formulas. And when you use Allie Miller RD at scmedicinals.com, you save 15% off your order and you get free shipping. Again, that's scmedicinals.com, Allie Miller RD. All right. So I mentioned way back, that was episode 43, like five plus years ago. Um, I think it's actually time to do another life inventory checklist. So I will make sure to share that in today's show notes. We may have shared it in like a New Year's resolution kind of check-in episode along the way Mm -hmm. as well. Um, But that's a really great 
resource um, that's over on the Naturally Nourished site on the blog. Um, and I think I can link it also in the newsletter. So make sure that you are subscribed for that. You'll get the wrap up from the the podcast um, and, each week. And just, mm-hmm. Each week, yep. Um, you'll be the first to know about any you know flash sales that we're doing. Um, we always include a research segment, so highlighting a particular nutrient or um, formula in there. Um, you'll always be the first to know about flash sales and like promos and all of the things um, in the newsletter as well. But yes, how could yes. you listen to the yep. podcast and not be on right? our newsletter right. list? Goodness gracious. And when you sign up, you get a free two week functional food plan too. So make sure you do that. And it's so funny thinking like five years ago, Becky, because even talking about CBD as a sponsor, I remember when I included CBD in the anti-anxiety diet and it was like still taboo. Uh-huh. Like even 2016, 2017, it hadn't even made its way into the great state of Texas. Right. And now there's like CBD shops even in sweet little Wimberley, Texas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, definitely the world of functional medicine, the world of therapeutic tools and um, active ingredients and compounds are continuing to evolve as science should. Um, and one of the limiting uh, or limit limiting elements, I think, with pandemic and concern of censorship is like, well, what's stopping people from knowing about all of these important, powerful tools? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yes. Five years ago was a long time ago. Different shift of season of motherhood even. Uh, Stella was nine to 14 months old during that window of episode 43. And um, so different with her at age five and now, or should I say five and a third, um, my little teenager five-year-old that I have going on. <laughs> yeah. She would correct you and be like, I'm five and a third. Yes. Um, she sure would. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and that was pre motherhood for me and like very early in my career. Um, like what did I used to do with all my time? You made juice. <laughs> a lot Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Not, not when I was as a podcast uh, co-host, but yes. like prior to that. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe even before we get personal here, Allie, let's just talk about functional medicine as, as kind of a simple jump in for new listeners how would you define functional medicine? Sure. So functional medicine, I always say, is addressing the root causes of chronic conditions and working with a systems-oriented approach that is patient-centered. Excuse me. So it's very science-based, and the idea is understanding the why of dysfunction so that we can address the areas and resolve from the root. So we're really obsessed as like a detective of the body to understand what and why is not working. And then we work with the client on how to get the ball moving forward or how to resolve some of the primary imbalances. And often when we're looking at interventions, we use food as medicine or diet and nutrition as a central focus because that's a way that we can impact inflammation. That's a way that we can impact hormone. That's a way that we can impact the microbiome. So, so many of these underlying mechanisms, of course, nutrient focus, um, play a big role with the food as medicine. And then we use targeted nutritional support or strategic supplementation to really accelerate outcomes. Or as we like to say in the world of Ali Miller RD, elevate your health in our supplement line. That was kind of our new fun coined thing a couple years ago when we revamped the website. Yes. 
Um, so let's talk maybe about just early experience, exposure, kind of how you first found out about functional medicine and, and how it went from there. Yeah. So when I first went to a naturopathic college of medicine, which was Bastyr University, that was back in 2007. I found out about Bastyr in 2005 and right away knew that that was the place I needed to be. The funny irony of that is a part of the compelling drive was in 2005, I was a vegan uh, all the way through actually 2007 and a half is when I transitioned uh, to an omnivore. But um, a part of what drew me to Bastyr was that they had a vegetarian cafeteria. So I was like, oh, this is amazing. I get to learn about dietetics and not have to like do all the gross animal stuff. So this is going to be good. And during that time is when it was very trend to learn about like a lot of the like buzzworthy studies. On This is like before the all of the like vegan, I mean, there was still propaganda in the world of like mm-hmm. PETA and such. And I forget how deep you were in all that stuff, Becky, but we talked about it in episode 42 again, way back in the archives. Um, but that was a big driving sense. And then of course that it was, you know, grounded by nature and that the naturopathic approach to, um, working with the body was inspired by nature, inspired by herbs, inspired by traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic, and all these modalities that had kind of stood the test of time and seemed to me at that time lower intervention based and more um, synergistic of kind of working with the systems of the body. Uh, So I went out to Bastyr. Well, I first worked in a hospital system to kind of earn some stripes. I worked as a diet tech. I I switched um, from my hippie gem shop, the Vortex that I was working at, and um, I started a job at Mercy Hospital in Iowa City, and I was a diet technician, and I also worked like their line, and then I got a pay raise to be their hospital chef, which was not a chef by any way, shape, or form. It was like instant mashed potatoes with water and like all of the things. But I wanted to have that inpatient hospital setting gross experience of like how bad it could get Mm -hmm. to understand exactly what I didn't want to do and also know what was being done in mainstream. So like the Splenda packs on every tray of a diabetic diet and et cetera. Um, So when I went to Bastyr, I super integrated into all of the opportunities out there, all of the electives like herbal medicine making. I did um, mushroom identification and I did a sea vegetable foraging trip out on Orcas Island on kayaks where we pulled wakimi and sun sun dried it and made our own um, sea salt from the ocean and all sorts of nerdo stuff and one of my elective courses that I took was actually with my um, mentor Michelle Babb who also was my clinic mentor at the Bastyr Clinic and uh, she worked also through the Institute of Functional Medicine and Bastyr University and it was called Functional Medicine for Nutrition Professionals and I enjoyed it I thought it was pretty cool but it wasn't until Jeff Bland came in and um, he is the doctor that started Metagenics out in Gig Harbor Washington a, a functional supplement company and he coined the term functional medicine. So he also played a role with starting the IFM, but there was some, I don't know, some business element where like he he just helped create it and wasn't on the board, Mm -hmm. but whatnot. But anyway, he uh, lectured about functional medicine and um, shared about Linus Pauling, uh, who is really known for uh, his work with vitamin C and orthomolecular approaches to wellness, which orthomolecular is high dose nutrient supplementation. 
And this is a component of functional medicine. This is what really made me obsessed with nutritional supplements. When I learned about, okay, yeah, yeah, vitamin C fought scurvy and X, Y, Z, but like, wait, wait, wait. So like a nutrient can actually therapeutically heal a condition. And then taking that connected to my advanced biochem and understanding that we require nutrients in every single process of the body. So if the body is dysfunctional, why not provide a potent therapeutic dose or push of that targeted nutrient to upregulate an area that was prior imbalanced? Sure. Um, and so that was like mind blowing to me because even in the world of, um, you know, Bestier and a lot of students that have come through there, they still keep in the naturopathic medicine world often not as much of a, um, I don't want to say aggressive supplementation, mm-hmm. but I guess that's right. You know, in the world of interventionist based, um, you know, the world of functional medicine really is a lot more focused on assessments and labs. Um, and then in interventions in the world of functional nutrient support and supplement mm-hmm. strategy. And that's where I was like, yes, like this makes me feel much more like a quote unquote doctor or healthcare practitioner than, you know, just talking about not eating FODMAPs with SIBO. Sure. Yeah. I want to understand what biofilms are. I want to understand how to test for this. I want to understand um, what would happen if this is resistant and how to take an individualized approach to get clinical outcomes. Totally. Um, so along that line, um, when we talk functional medicine, I guess, what are like the essential elements in your perspective and, and now your evolved perspective of, you know, 10 plus, how many years are you going on now? 12, um, more Goodness. <laughs> years of, of clinic long. and, yeah. um, where are, where are the places that it can go wrong as well? Yeah, so I think what's important always, always, and has come to light even more so now, again, with pandemic and such, is always, even as a consumer, I think it's really important that we always understand the why behind the mechanism of action. Like, I think you'd probably agree with that with me, Becky, in the sense of, and and we talked a little bit about this with like your master's program and whatnot, functional medicine can get very Uh algorithm-based of just like, if this, you do this, this, this. Right. Um, and that doesn't mean necessarily that we're understanding the complexities of the mechanisms of the why and, and how we get the outcomes that we see. Um, so, you know, understanding, for instance, if we're dealing with chronic inflammation or fibroids um, and we're saying, well, you know, don't take an NSAID because that could drive a, a stroke risk factor. Also, NSAIDs um, can play a role with, you know, gastric inflammation or gastric bleeds or ulcerations. So we know the mechanisms that could be harmful about said drugs, but do we know what NSAIDs do? Like what, what is the Cox pathways of inhibition and what naturally would provide that same Cox one, Cox two impact. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, just because we're blocking the, the, that cycle oxygenase, right? Enzyme pathways, right? Just cause we're blocking these Cox pathways, um, with a natural anti-inflammatory is that just still blocking the inflammatory signal or are we actually resolving? And so it's interesting because we're working on a, a um, supplement um, sale with Inflamazyme, 
And so I was talking to Byron about this, and I, I like that because it's like I can have a conversation with a human that's like on the outside because <laughs> mm-hmm. Brady's already too deep in it all, I think, already. Um, and so it's like, okay, well, right. So like instead of the NSAID drugs, the inflammasome doesn't just block those pathways. Um, and when we're looking at the proteolytic enzymes with the therapeutic botanicals, which is what inflammasome is, right? It has the seropeptidases, and then we also have the rosemary, the turmeric, the ginger, the uh, resveratrol in there and the quercetin well we're actually looking at those proteolytic enzymes repair the tissue that was damaged driving the inflammation the botanicals aid in alleviating the inflammatory pathways and managing pain and then you know also those proteolytic enzymes block that signaling pathway but we're getting resolution because of the tissue cleanup because of less of the debris Mm -hmm. with that proteolytic world we're getting into the biofilms Um, so understanding mechanism of action why i think is absolutely essential for a good functional medicine practitioner Um, because often i'll see them using like a red yeast rice formula um, to lower someone's LDL. Right. And again, it's like, well, why are you lowering the LDL? Don't you know that LDL is a bell curve and that low LDL drives all-cause mortality risk to be elevated? And, right. and um, just swapping a statin for red yeast rice isn't really resolving from the root cause. And, right. and understanding why the LDL is elevated in the first place can give you insight into so many other things, right? Absolutely. Let's look at the thyroid. Let's look at hormone fluctuation. And you know that RYR is still going to deplete CoQ10. So the monocolon K active ingredient that the red yeast rice is derived from, that the statin drug is patented from, that monocolon K is still that HMG-CoA reductase inhibitor. So natural compounds can also drive dysfunction if not used appropriately. And that's why we have to always understand the mechanism of action and, you know, what we're looking to do. And, and I think that the big issue, again, is thinking that A, natural is always superior, which isn't necessarily true, and B, getting too algorithm-based and, um, you know, really uh, not taking the time to connect with an individual, but trying to tell them what to do versus understand where they're coming from, what they've tried, what hasn't worked, and how you can create a more individualized, unique approach. And, and that's where I think the strategy with supplementation is key. And as I've evolved and grown naturally nourished, we've had so much fun with this podcast because I think we really get to go down the rabbit hole of like adenomyosis and all of these specific compounds versus just saying, oh, you have an inflammatory mm-hmm. condition. This is sure. what you need. Yep. Um, you know, we've talked about, again, when is super turmeric better than inflammasome? When is something better than the other? And um, this platform has been a really great way to really provide that as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, so we promised we weren't going to get too nerdy today, but yes. some of that did a little bit there. <laughs> a little. Um, so, you know, your knowledge and, and passion in this world of, of supplements certainly has played a role in launching your career. Um, let's go from like the time that you got your license and, and kind of how things evolved from there in terms of like creating your own clinic. Yeah. So uh, the initial job that I got was actually connected to supplementation in the sense that it was a Craigslist ad. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Back in the day, that's how people got jobs, apparently. It was a Craigslist ad, and I was still um, a dietetic intern. And it said, um, seeking dietitian with um, knowledge base of nutritional supplements. So that, I think, teed me up. Yep, that's me. That's me. Um, And it said something about maybe natural medicine background or something like that, or interest in natural medicine. And so that was the job that I took working for a double board pediatrician and um, primary care physician. 
and I came on as a diet coach because I didn't have my letters yet, but I said, hey, she was using like a, a weight in inches formula, which was through... Um, I think it was like Abadair or Abbott or, you know, one of the, one Abbott Health, mm-hmm. I think, you know, one yeah. of those very classic like weight loss formulations. And um, she also was carrying some metagenics. And so from Bestier, I had that connection and Jeff Bland and all that. And I was like, oh, I'm very familiar with metagenics. I see that you have their ultra meal line, which I'm not a fan of overall. Um, it's like a, a shake formula that has um, specific compounds, like like um, specific kinase reductase module um, ingredients and botanicals and compounds that are anti-inflammatory and targeted, but they had crystallized fructose in it and some other components that I wasn't a big fan of. And I said, well, I'm familiar with this line. I think there's tons of supplements that you would benefit from having on your shelf that you're not offering right now. And I think that those shakes that you're selling over there are totally crap. Um, and you know, I'm not on board with that. And she said, well, we've already purchased all this inventory. We're working with morbidly obese individuals, many of them over 300 plus pounds overweight. And my highest weight individual was 700 and something pounds. And so this was very true. This was inner city Houston area. And, um, she said, well, but what I'll let you do is after they've lost their first 50 pounds, you can transition them to, to whole foods. And so we kind of made a marriage of that where I said, okay, I'll do, you know, your weight loss clinic and I'll also work with them with the behavioral therapist. And I'm going to teach them about what food as medicine is and processed foods and whole foods and the whole thing. I took all my groups to a farmer's market tour and I really got to build a 52-week program entire curriculum. Um, they had one of those really cheesy like diet binders, you mm-hmm. know, with like a weekly suggested protocol or, 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 you know, program guide. And I totally just revamped it all and made it my own. Um, and so that was fun. And I started that with just then one day of patience, um, which is where I would work with like maybe an inflammatory bowel disease, new Crohn's um, diagnosis. Most of my work in clinic was with dysmetabolic syndrome, which is basically hypertension or elevated blood pressure, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. And so as I grew and filled my schedule and then got licensed, um, then I was hired on from part-time to full-time and um, I was able to grow the amount of patients I was working with to a pretty full nine to five with patients and then one evening class and one Saturday class. And she'd basically give me three months to work with all of her dysmetabolic syndrome patients before prescribing a medication. So instead of going on a hydrochlorothiazide, they'd get three months to work with me to lower their blood pressure. Instead of going on their Lipitor, same scenario. And then she'd rerun the labs and um, we would see how they improved and go from there. The coolest part about it was that um, they were able to be billed as an extension of care from a physician. Mm -hmm. So she made great financial impact from that. Um, And that helped her to be able to afford a salary for me. And the patients were just paying their copay. So there was pretty good accountability and not a lot of attrition because they were seeing the savings in their health care. And they were, some of them had a $0 copay. Some of them had a 15 or 20. Um, And so that was a really great way for me to kind of gain swag and meet with people all the way around the spectrum of different um, eating habits, age ranges, and all in the vein of being directly coordinated with this physician. And then over time, we kind of continued to grow our brand. And so she brought on a PA beyond her nursing staff. I brought on another RD and to the point where we even had a third part-time dietitian 
um, with the demands and flow. We had four at one point of the VLCD, which is very low calorie diet keto programs going. Um, I picked up my certified diabetes education licensure during that time. And then I started teaching a weekly diabetes education class. So she'd have all the glucometers there and I'd teach them how to use a glucometer and all of the bases. And then I even built a level two on that. Um, and so a lot of it was like playing, um, private practice without the financial risk, which was super cool and having the platform of the patient security without investing in marketing. Um, it was awesome to work directly next to a physician because we had a really good, uh, friend relationship. Uh, at least once a week we would drink wine together and catch up on things. And we were also able to bounce cases. So she had a great respect for me where she would bounce something off of me. And I asked her a lot of questions, learned about so many different labs. Um, so, you know, she was in direct contract with LabCorp. So we could order anything under the sun. I wasn't limited to just a functional lab panel. Um, and then over time, I got her to pick up some of the more functional labs. Um, and she was still taking call at two different hospitals. So it was really great networking with other um, endocrinologists. I had been to many endocrinologists in Houston's offices, um, many uh, gastroenterologists and specialists. And probably the other big hookup beyond, so there was the networking of other physicians and um, healthcare practitioners. There was the ease of growing a clinic and swag without the financial impact. And then the third big trifecta of the growth platform that this provided was that it teed me up for media because one of my success stories with the Dysmetabolic Health was a producer at ABC. And so we got her off of her metformin and off of uh, one of her blood pressure medications and off of her statin. And she was like, game change, this is amazing. So she got me a three-part segment um, on uh, the New Year season. And um, that was on ABC. And then someone at Fox 26 saw it and they recruited me to do a segment. And that followed with another segment, which became twice a month which became weekly and I did that for almost five solid years where I would then write a food as medicine segment, pitch that direct to their producers and show up with my little food props and that's how I kicked off my Friday mornings. It was pretty cool way to grow and get on camera and stay connected and that catapulted then a lot of swag when I was ready to leave um, to feel like I had a name, I guess is the big thing there. Yeah, sure. so let's talk about kind of that transition part to private practice, how you knew it was time to kind of yeah. grow in that way. And, and, you know, a lot of this served as a, a stepping stone. Um, mm-hmm. But how did you kind of um, transition from there? Yeah, so I think, you know, before, I, when I transitioned into private practice, I, I mean, I knew I always wanted to do private practice because there was the limitation of, you know, she did go forward and get certified through the Institute of Functional Medicine as an MD. And so she was into the functional medicine element, but not as deep dive as I was. Like I wanted to order stool. I wanted to order salivary um, cortisol. I wanted to do the whole thing. And maybe only 25% of that she was into. And so I knew I needed to do my own thing to expand beyond dysmetabolic syndrome and digestive and really open up the world of hormones and adrenals and all of those elements. And so um, I started to earn extra money to launch my clinic by cooking for patients. Um, So I worked five days a week for and taught a class on Saturdays. I was on a commission structure, so I was super hustle oriented of like make that money. 
And I would even say, like, I want to come in on a Saturday. This person can't see me, but I'll, I'll see them because I can increase my billables. So I'm going to hustle. And then even beyond that, during this time, Brady was doing solar panels. So he was traveling all the time. And so I picked up two clients that I cooked for. And I would basically cook what I was cooking for myself, um, but just double it down. I had each cooking client purchase a pack of Pyrex containers and um, I would deliver them meals. Um, and Becky, you did that for a while I too. I did all through school, yeah. It's a, it yeah. was a very lucrative, doable thing. And so that would be my first area if, if I'm like recommending others of what this looks like, right? How, how do you create this type of a, a transition? I definitely think that um, you know, considering asking for a role like this um, would be a really great approach. And taking a job versus just like, hi, I'm Allie. I got out of school and I'm going to start a brand. Right. Um, yes. <laughs> I think yeah. a lot, of, right? Like, I, I mean, I think a lot of individuals, it doesn't matter, honestly, the reality of, of how educated you are, or how phenomenal you are. If you don't have an audience, you're throwing darts in a pool of so many, you know, or, or fish in the sea, whatever you want to say, scenario. It's going to be really hard to stick, especially in the world of now social media competition. Totally. And like online, especially if you're not starting with like a, a physical location in a visible yes. place, um, or if you're not like a face in the community, if you're trying to do the online thing, that's tricky. And just getting the, the sheer volume mm-hmm. of the amount of clients that I was able to engage with having them in the doctor's office as that direct referral, um, I didn't have to hunt every single client. Sure. They were being yep. thrown at me and then I got to work with them and build my skill set on them. Um, so that's what I suggest for a lot of you that are looking at private practice. Uh, my first recommendation would be don't jump into private practice. It's going to be very humbling. And yes, you may grow it, but it's going to be a lot of teeth gritting and, and, and difficult way to really grow your swag. I also don't think that means that you have to start in as a hospital dietitian. Right. I think what I would do is I would create a opportunity and I would pitch a role to mentors or other like-minded um, practitioners. So I just had this conversation with a recent intern of ours because she's concerned right now about, of course, masks and vaccination mm-hmm. in place of work. So sure. it's like, that's a thing we didn't even have to deal with, no, Becky. No. Um, and so I can't imagine how that's another limiting factor of now you're like, okay, so I wanna take a role. This is a really cool research opportunity at this gig, but they're requiring this impact on my own personal right. medical right. freedom, which that's a no-go. Um, But what I would do is I would try to find like a chiropractor in your area or a physician or even a massage therapist or a personal trainer, someone that has an established brick and mortar space and pitch them coming on site for one day a week to start and either you pay them a percent of your fees, like I'm going to charge $150 for a consult and I'm going to give you 20% of that for the first six months. And so you're literally giving them money to use an unfilled space and you're getting to use their pool Mm -hmm. of people, Um, put out flyers, do a free class. Um, And that's my next recommendation is you have to give to grow. Um, So what type of offering can you provide that is free and also has value added so that people are interested in listening to you? Um, You've shown that you have the swag or the credentials or the... um, you know, the, the unique attributes that they need. You have something that they need to gain from you, and then that's when you can start to monetize. Um, but you definitely have to give to grow. And whether you're doing that 
on your own clinic and you're doing like a drip campaign of like five supplements you need to fight bloating or whatever it is or or five recipes to do this or ways to cut body fat that's the start of a give to grow campaign but who's it landing to and what's your audience and how do you um, get that out and I think that's where you need to hybridize having some local touch points and literally pitch it to how you can grow their revenue so if that individual sells supplements you might say well I'm just going to recommend what you have on shelf. Um, if you're using full scripts, be mindful as you're growing your clinic to not have your hands in the pickle jar where you're worried about your self-interest because that's going to, I truly feel, inhibit your growth and your trajectory in your career. Um, like in that scenario, again, if you make that business owner more money by you saying, I'm going to sell your supplements, but I want you to carry this, 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 this. Um, and you know, if you have no interest in supplements, then I'm going to use this you know, EMR profile, whatever. Um, but I really think that it's a way that you can show them your value and then a year in, six months in, you say, okay, now I want a piece of that. Sure. And that's what this looks like. But I think um, it would be very um, difficult to position that value without showing it in quantitative value and, and data. Right. What, are, what are you bringing to the table sure. kind of thing? Yep. Um, yeah. And so from there, where did you where did you go next? I know you did farmer's market tabling, which I think that's a great way yeah. to like engage in the community um, if there is a local farmer's market. And I know I did that for a while as well as yeah. I was kind of starting to grow my clinic. So that's totally a give to grow thing again, mm-hmm. right? And so I uh, had the TV stuff still going, so that was an anchoring element. I picked up the cooking to make some hustle money, and then I got a tabling uh, spot at the farmer's market, which I was pushing for for like over a year. I created that in Seattle um, when I was at Best Year. Uh, my friend Carrie and I had a, I forget what we called it, but it was just like food as medicine station. And because Brady, my husband, was farming at the time and I was also working for a Full Circle Farm, we had a hard time selling certain produce items like sunchokes and you know certain oddities. Mm-hmm. And so I would put together like a newsletter on like how it functions in the body. What is inulin? What is a... Um, fermentable fiber how is a prebiotic work in the body and then there'd be a recipe for like a sunchoke slaw or a sunchoke mash and then um, a tasting station and such and so I kept pitching it in Houston and it didn't land until uh, finally I met some farmer friends that really appreciated my perspective and they got me in again so a lot of like direct community relationships this is a time when it feels isolating but I'm telling you guys all this is the time to really root deeper locally Um, I find that that's a really great way to make connections so that was a way where I had a free information booth which you know very humbling four hours a a week of people that don't want to look you in the eyes because they don't know like necessarily what you have going on there Mm -hmm. and you don't always have a sample right Um, right they tried to put us by the samples yeah yeah (laughs) but yeah everyone gives you that kind of like don't make eye contact walk away um but i would always get a couple clients per market Mm -hmm. and so it was totally worth it and i launched my private practice and uh then within the first i think it was actually the first three months of launching that I met uh, Dr. Lorenzo Cohen at the farmer's market who uh, was working on a research study for MD Anderson stage three breast cancer. So they recruited me to take on that part of that research study, which also helped with swag of adding MD Anderson on my profile name. 
Um, and then I also met Monica Pope there, and she was a really known chef in Houston, and so we did food as medicine dinners. Um, a lot grew out of that, again, no monetizing, quote-unquote, free, sure. donating my time thing um, of things that really helped to serve as pillars of creating the growth of, of the clinic. And um, I maintained the weekly TV segments. I had a really small, like, 70 square foot office like literally like you walked in like a closet um, and I met with patients there for a year and then expanded to a space in the heights that was like 700 square feet and then um, ended up signing a three-year contract in um, Montrose area for 1700 square feet it was initially 1200 and then we bought out another part of it to teach cooking classes um, and I would say that that was probably where I made the wrong choice um, <laughs> of just way, way, way too much overhead. Um, the excitement of the opportunity of growing and like, oh my gosh, like, so I can have seven employees and, um, you know, I can see, I was seeing 30 plus patients a week. I was still doing the weekly TV segment. I had uh, two uh, dietitians. I would kind of groom from internship on and select my favorites because I uh, was a preceptor for the University of Houston dietetic program and um, it was all really cool but I was working like 70 to 80 Uh hours a week and it was just absolutely unsustainable and a total recipe for burnout yeah yeah totally (laughs) Um, and and I think you know one of the times that I I recall um, being you know part of I guess I was still just maybe doing meal planning with people at that time but the pharmacy event where you went completely mute you were supposed to speak for the whole day and lecture and like planned this big like basically a wedding um type event and then had laryngitis and couldn't talk um so I feel like that was like a nail in the coffin of like Ooh, something's unsustainable and, and needs to shift in the way that I'm approaching this. Yeah. It was God before I knew <laughs> right. it was God. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, it was very, like, very clear cut. Like, you've overextended. You cannot. This is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely. Yeah. Your, your voice was gone, which means your message was gone, which means, you know, we still hung out for the event and made it happen. But uh-huh. <laughs> yes. it's a, a wake-up call, I think. Um, so, absolutely. And then, um, you know, at one full year post-transition of moving to Austin, what did things look like, like 2017 to 2019, let's say? Yeah. So, you know, right when we, we finally, like, settled into Austin, um, I it was just Becky and I at that time, which was fabulous because I realized in some introspective approach that boss is the least favorite, like, whatever component of my career um I really hate managing others it makes me anxious to tell people what to do and how to do it and so I always had like office managers but it just never worked Mm -hmm. it didn't work and and seven women is just a thing um and so (laughs) I knew when I was relocating before I got pregnant Brady and I were like okay what's the plan and we were like the lease ends here how do we shave and so the plan was always to move to austin because it would be close enough to still manage the houston clinic but give me that like physical space and at that time i was like well maybe i'll still keep the houston clinic and just like really hire a true business manager and like neutralize myself from this or something i don't know 
um, I ended up making, I think, the best choice ever of just totally kind of folding that in. And Becky held the space of the Houston Clinic in that transition year where uh, she shifted back. It was like this full circle back to the 80 square foot office mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> from the 1700 yep. to, the, to the room like I started with um, and held the Houston space for still like some supplement purchase hours. And because we had um, at one point when we had that large office space, people came in like a retail right, shop. Right, like it was a right. true brick and mortar business. So we needed, you know, full staff, people on the phones, all the things. Um, so when we kind of folded all of that in and leaned it down to just Becky and I, um, you know, that was a really great way where Becky and I had a pretty black and white, clear cut agreement of, hey, you're over here doing this. I'm over here doing this. This is how things work. Um, it was a lot more stress free. Um, she was ramping up her clinic and growing all that stuff and um, had the pool of the Houston clients t- to work with as well. So that was really great. And um, now in the Austin space, it was like writing on Thursdays, um, virtual programs were picking up. Uh, I was seeing clients three to four days a week instead of five days a week. And the running of the business part was a little bit less demanding, less you know physical impact from like office space and issues and, and staffing issue stuff. Um, so I had more present time with Stella during my flexibility. like. In the Houston days, I, that's one of my biggest regrets is my first year of my daughter's life. Mm-hmm. I was literally showing up at the office at you know 8 a.m. and not leaving till 6 p.m. So like I literally saw her when I breastfed her at lunch and then like the evening walk. Um, so I did buy myself the space of having more actual hours during the day with Stella, but I still was working till 1 a.m. Sure. Yeah. Because as the clinic shut down, KetoCon literally kicked in like right as I transitioned the first KetoCon ever, which was a great success, a huge launch pad for my career and audience. And, um, you know, since then we've done every KetoCon, even last uh, KetoCon in 2019, we threw the VIP party. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked up writing for Mind Body Green. I signed the book deal for the anti-anxiety diet um, in like January of 2017. And that came out and then I signed the book deal for anti-anxiety diet cookbook. I was traveling and flying for lectures. And um, I realized that, you know, even though I created and shaved in that space, uh, I very quickly filled it, which is interesting to take a step back right. now where like pandemic has purposefully kind of broke the trajectory again that I found myself kind of digging out of the sand trap of 2019 book tour into the new year of 2020. Totally, totally. And and how amazing too that we were already a fully virtual practice. Like I had shut down the Houston office, right? We shut it down in July of 2019 yeah like how perfect of timing literally because it wouldn't have worked the same way so our clients were already well versed in working with us online and we already had learning curve yeah foot in the door with like virtual programs people are used to that yeah um for sure but yeah let's talk about um your evolving approach to functional medicine and and kind of um where your perspective is post-pandemic or in whatever at least how stage. people are dealing with it yeah right. and then the like more personal yeah mm-hmm. so um it's tricky because I have again it's so interesting because as pandemic picked up as y'all know Becky and I are like talking on the podcast like you know coronavirus here's what you do do to do, 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 do what it'll, support it'll be two weeks don't worry support your innate immune system <laughs> this is how your adaptive right. immune system works these are what toll like receptors are in the gut this is what vitamin c does this is what essentially you know we were just boom 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 like we were any other season of cold flu or virus um but all of a sudden it was very different very quickly um and uh when i started hearing when i started seeing people that i greatly respected 
putting things out on social media about masking um, when the scientific consensus to date <laughs> had been that masks are ineffective at stopping respiratory virus. Um, you know, and seeing them, seeing the Surgeon General making masks out of t-shirts mm-hmm. and being like, that just doesn't make sense if we're talking about um, the size of this virus and the porous nature of that cotton t-shirt. Uh, it seems like there's something behind this. Um, and so I kind of watched in shock and awe as A, my posts that were medically sound and research-based were being censored and I started getting shadow banned or kind of slapped on the wrist by platforms like Instagram and such from sharing medical truth. Um, And also on the latter end, seeing people that I once respected sharing sound bites, I guess, like propaganda sound bites that didn't make sense if you're talking about mechanism of action and functional medicine. And I remember um, Bastier and IFM equally had, um, you know, a webinar for medical practitioners on the vaccines when they were coming out, which again, I would have thought in hindsight that both of them would have called them, like I do, experimental injections, because by nature of the definition of the word vaccines, the mRNA injectable drugs do not qualify. So that was weird, A. And and then to hear um, the midwifery department of Bastyr and OBGYNs um, in the IFM talking about recommendations for pregnant women and for populations that were of low risk to get this said injection and not even questioning the potential risk factors or talking about um, concern of toxicity of nanoparticles and lipid particles and any of the controversy. It was all muted and just forward push with agenda. Now, I've spent some time further on the IFM site and I will link, they do have a good guide um, that talks about nutraceutical and botanical mm-hmm. agents um, and, you know, compounds that bind to the spike receptors and, um, you know, that's where they pull in some of the TCM stuff and up-to-date literature on elderberry and vitamin D and vitamin C. Um, but I'm still disappointed in their position on um, vaccines. And uh, Bastier has totally lost my support and credibility in the sense that they are beyond draconian. Um, they have... Uh, vaccine mandates with proof of vaccination required on campus. Um, They have masks throughout their entire campus inside, and they uh, mandate N95 specifically be used in labs and in their kitchen. I don't know how one can take a food as medicine cooking class because back in the day when I took it, we were actively tasting. We had a taste spoon, literally. And so they're wearing N95s. I don't know how that works. But it just sounds totally off. Like, doesn't this population understand what the immune system is and how to support the immune system? Um, And and so I've been pretty disappointed um, to see how two organizations that I had so much credibility for and um, respect for lose what I would consider critical thinking um, or questioning the narrative or questioning the hypothesis because I think that you know when we talk about functional medicine again it's always generally going to be against the mainstream big pharma big ag connection which is pro selling you drugs right um, and not that it always has to be of course there's positive advances in mainstream medicine and I do acknowledge those and I do still say for some people risk to reward may be to get that experimental injection but I don't see many people under 65 without two or more comorbidities, inflammatory conditions, and un- 
uncontrolled diabetes and or obesity to be within that category of consideration. Sure, and like Bastyr's college-aged population certainly is not of that. Of one would imagine very right. healthy right. individuals. Right. Oh my gosh. Well, as we're talking pandemic and yes. frustrations, um, any updates there? <laughs> yeah. So let's see. The, the most current thing that's roughing my feathers that I haven't talked about recently, um, and then we'll talk happy like lifestyle change things, but is the injections that are, again, emergency authorization use, still not FDA cleared, right, um, for children. And children literally are at no emergency. So I did do that as like my final um, Instagram post that was controversial. It was um, flagged and um, I got hit on that. So I have started Patreon um, and this is a big area that's been really fun for me to be able to have no censorship. I don't have to say schmack schmeen. I can say vaccine. I can say um, pandemic and I would say you know all the other words that I was saying in funny ways to go around the bots that are censoring medical freedom um, but you know I shared stats on patreon which I'll link um, patreon slash Ali Miller RD you can become a member for as little as three dollars a month less than a coffee um, and at five dollars a month you get to DM with me so when individuals have specific questions I'm not DMing anymore on social platforms it's just too high risk and so that's where I'm addressing questions like oh my daughter has strep throat what do I do and I say hey five sprays of colloidal silver five times a day do this do that do that and here's recommendations so you get direct access point to me for five bucks a month which is pretty groovy um, and I shared stats on myocarditis I shared stats on Gillian Barson syndrome uh, and a lot of the neurological conditions and concerns and the true risk factors in the lower age population and how they are in no emergency so how can we give them emergency authorization use for a population that has no emergency and I saw 900,000 plus children between the ages of 5 and 11 have now been injected with this experimental not FDA cleared drug yep. within a week yeah and what irks me further is there's now they're starting test to stay programs so for the parents that aren't there's some schools that are already mandating it and then if it's not mandated there's test to stay programs where there's weekly some i've seen as bad as daily mm -hmm. screening for unvaccinated students um, and if we're just talking testing again you have to always follow the money so just in this october um, President Biden signed a partnership with Rockefeller Foundation for $10 billion of federal funding for COVID-19 screening. Now, follow the money with testing. We've talked about before how the pandemic has really been catapulted through a lot of the false positives and PCR testing and how it's really like a testing-demic, if you will, or I used a probably case-demic. Case-demic. There you go. I'm like, there was something cuter that I used to say. <laughs> yes, it was a case-demic. And so we're racking up these cases to create the fear. Um, you know, we're really not talking about cases anymore. And it's interesting because, uh, yeah, if you've been vaccinated, you can still carry and right. you can still um, actually um, share the virus with others. It, it doesn't reduce transmission. Um, so no reduction in transmission is why we're not talking about this case-demic anymore. But in July of this year, um, there was a change, and I'll link this, because this just like blows my mind. This is literally through Google, not even like a hidden search engine. So on the CDC's website on July of 2001 of this summer, um, they put out that as of December 31st this year, the CDC is going to withdraw its request for the uh, FDA to have the EAU approval of the 2019 coronavirus 
real-time PCR diagnostic test. So as of this December 31st, you cannot use the PCR test, okay? Um, and what was interesting is on the following day after the FDA announced this, the Biden administration invested $1.6 billion to support more COVID-19 testing and uh, mitigation uh, in especially vulnerable communities. So that was the day following $1.6 billion into that campaign after they noted that the testing was switched. And two days prior to the FDA announcing that on July 19th, George Soros and Bill Gates backed a consortium to buy the UK maker of COVID tests for $41 million. Um, and it's this uh, company out of the UK and they bought out all these tests and this is what the FDA has signed on to use as of January 1st of this year. So I don't know how you can't say that that follows the money. And it's just too sloppily of dates. Literally, right. we're talking from July 19th. These rich dudes bought out a company. Uh, as of July 20, 21st, the FDA, which is supposed to be like this non-partisan, non-financially influenced. Which it's not. Can it's, we just say that? I mean, like, duh. <laughs> hello. Yeah. So they literally um, right away had connection with that and switched the testing to the one that was just purchased by these big wigs. And then the next day, government comes on and gives mm -hmm. more money to mm -hmm. those funds. Um, I mean, and this goes on and on and on. We know Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey, he's pledged a billion dollars for a COVID-19 relief fund. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, $350 million leveraging their investments for secure vaccinations. Uh, George Soros Foundation, $130 million into COVID-19 relief. And these relief funds just go back into the deep pockets because they are shareholders of these now multi-billion dollar drugs that they're able right. to control and mandate with this no, new movement that all of these people which regulate the messaging of media, both social media and paid media, to this now focus of COVID zero. Um, so that means more testing, more drug, more injection, and uh, less freedom or medical autonomy. And um, I just saw this morning, and then I'm done. I just saw this morning Time Magazine. This is so bad. Rise of robots speeds up in pandemic with U.S. labor scare. And then it says, American workers are hoping that the tight pandemic labor market will translate into better pay. It might just mean robots take their jobs instead. Um, so the question is like, why are we firing individuals for non-compliance in essential worker roles that were the healthcare heroes just because they won't comply? Why are we doing that in the police force, the military, mm -hmm. the firefighters, individuals that are able to make really important support of protecting the people of that country? And we're pulling those that don't follow blindly and want an individualized critical thinking assessment. Um, what's coming next? And I, I guess robots are very easy to control what to do, hopefully, assuming that, uh, you know, they don't circuit, short circuit or something. <laughs> Who knows? Feels like a sci-fi movie, um, for sure. <laughs> yes. So, you know, it's, it's, I think now more than ever... So it sounded really dark. I got to reel it back. Now more than ever, this is the time to ensure connection again, right? So you can't put all of your eggs in one basket on the internet. You can't put all of your eggs in one basket on something that isn't tangible, that you can't actually connect with. This is the time I really feel strongly to keep the pulse and retain connectivity within where you're growing your passion and your space. Also build a bunker, just in case. <laughs> Um, but for serious, um, along this line of, of keeping the pulse, let's connect back to your recalibration episode 43, um, 
you know, I had asked what drove this transition from Houston Clinic, 1,700 square feet and seven employees to virtual only. Um, I want you to read part of your reply from that episode because this was like back when we used to script out our whole episodes um, yeah. and, and just reflect on like what those words mean today or kind of how they hit you different. Yeah. So I said, Stella has really forced me to be true to myself. There is an urgency of being a mother that makes me need to live with authenticity and to my true self. Ultimately, my demands were unsustainable and I was losing parts of myself as a sacrifice for success. Engaging and connecting with Stella reminds me to take the time to breathe, to stare with wonder at a tall tree, to shop at the farmer's market versus rely on Instacart, to cook daily and honor my foods within my preparation, to delve back with momentum into my life and my practice. And when I was reading that last night, Becky, I got like such mm, goosebumps yeah. because, um, and I'm sure that urgency you can relate to now on a totally different oh, level. Totally. Yep. Like yep. you were saying recently when we were doing something for work, you're like, oh, I have the mom guilt. And it's yeah. just this yep. like thing. gnarly, yeah, like you feel like from that umbilicus, like that, that connection of like your baby, you know, and you want them by your body. Um, but I do feel like I said, like at 2019, as things were building, I was like back into that sand trap that like I had to keep like digging out of. And I was seeing my own body with some little tinges of like autoimmune flares and my dysbiosis stuff was coming back. And I was starting to deal with more cold sores and just like, you know, resistant viral elements. And I think these last 18 months have really been a time to reevaluate because when I recorded that about being so present, that was before the book deals, that was before KetoCon, um, that was before I had added all of these things back in. And um, Brady's really good at checking me to like be really clear. Um, I can find my B with ease and I think the authenticity and the delivery has been better because it's coming from direct my voice versus disseminating through a, a, a clinic and all that thing. Um, but I'm a doer and so I always push and I go and um, that's where I'm really trying to now recalibrate in this concept of like pull not push like what pulls me mm -hmm. and when I was reflecting I was like well it's interesting because I think that God has a way of softening our hearts and that the pandemic for me was a way to of course obviously a stop for many people right but a total reevaluation and um, it, if it hadn't had happened, I'd probably be two more books down and <laughs> hosting events, like right. retreats across the country or who knows where. Um, but I had to root. And in light of like rooting, um, this really hit me with the reality of like, okay, what could get me grounded and slow me down? And I was already feeling really burned out in Austin. I was always sad about the move that we made into the city from the beautiful valley home that we had in Austin. I felt like the whole ethos of like I wanted to be surrounded by nature, not just like visit nature. I don't want to drive in the car mm -hmm. to go on a hike in nature. Um, and I felt like there was an intense 5G vibration in my area in Austin. I Once I first saw a child wearing a mask on a scooter outside, right. I knew that I couldn't right. look out my window and see that. I knew that the Austin Independent School District was not going to support how I wanted my child to grow up and develop anymore. 
Um, and the, the whole PSYOP um, felt really heavy and I decided a hard stop in March of 2021 that I was no longer participating, period. Like I would not put a mask back on my face ever um, and I was going to get creative and I was going to become fluid with the roadblocks just like a river finds smaller rivers when it hits a dam or whatnot. I was going to find a way to pivot. And we had purchased, we knew right away, um, like in the summer of pandemic, in 2020, we started seeking a second home. At first we thought it was a second home and it very quickly became a move, um, a relocation. And um, in December of 2020, when we found the property that we will be uh, building on and doing the project on, it was a very direct aha. Um, and and that, that just all of a sudden felt like home, like this is where it needs to be. Blood pressure goes down, everything is still, and there's all these opportunities and projects to slow down and be present in the moment and to integrate Stella in that versus have to do and, and having her waiting or, or, sure. or doing something separate per se. Yeah. Um, I want to hear about updates on the property, but I think you've got more first. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I, I just wanted to note like the, like I mentioned, like the God softening yeah, heart yeah, yeah. part. I sure. just think I was reflecting on this last night and I think that because I've always questioned pharma and the narrative, that was an easy way to crack me open, spiritually speaking. Um, because, you know, I realized very quickly in the middle of 2020 how many of my thoughts, many of my political positions, mm -hmm. many of these sound bites were not my own. And I realized very quickly through having to do a 180 in many of these things by applying my own voice and critical thinking versus groupthink or sound bites that there is a presence that is purely evil and it, it took a really long time for me to make peace with accepting evil like how could anyone actually want to hurt someone how could anyone actually want to reduce the function of society or the human experience reduce humanity like this whole idea of again like robots taking our jobs I think when I take a step back and I'm like okay they're removing people who don't make this choice and then they're doing that it seems that there's a very big dehumanizing influence and I had to literally admit that evil is real and understand that if evil is real what do I know about good what do I know about God and how connected am I with God have I sought God have I put any actual proactive energy and time into understanding what God is and um, that's allowed me to accept God back into my life and it has been a beautiful spiritually filling element of my life that I, I can't imagine now going backwards mm -hmm. on. It's really sure. wild. And I think had it not come through pharma, had it not come through the pol polarizing elements, I wouldn't have um, integrated it as, as dynamically or surrendered. I think I would hold my ego shell that I don't need, I don't need sure. kind of thing, yeah, which yeah. is to me very, very humbling. And, and that's how I know God works sometimes by pressing and um, that focus of fortitude and fluidity and finding ways for me to stay soft has been the challenge when I want to get angry. Um, but thinking of trusting sovereignty and being free at the same time, the idea that, you know, I have this peace of mind today that I did not have six months ago, that I did not have for sure 18 months ago, that 
the same God that said, let there be light is the same God who's in charge today. Like, right. I don't, I truly don't believe that God was like, oh, Biden got in. Are we sure about that? We should fact check it. You know, like, I feel like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I think that there's like a way grander plan. Right. Like, it's not that nitty gritty. Right. It's not that tit for tat. Um, and so I think when I get frustrated about elements in politics, in life, in the secular world, it just means that I need to turn up the dial of God and turn down the secular dial because the devil works in confusion and there's a lot of confusing things going on right now. So when I feel confused, I just turn down that dial and, and turn up God. Yeah. Um, and I think we've shared in, in some of the pandemic episodes, this importance of yeah being the light, holding this higher vibration, the works of um, David Hawkins, who has kind of the spectrum of, of energy vibration, but um, really it's been a challenging and awakening work for both of us in this past two years because um, there's so much that you do want to just get angry at and I still find myself in that very often um, but you know we don't hold much shame it's just more of a challenge not to hold that anger or, or hate especially when you see something so clearly and right. you're trying to share it and people then shame you right. um, it's the whole and that's what's been fun the pivoting um, so I'm, I'm really working on this this realization of really not pushing but instead what pulls me um, and I think that in the in the space of functional medicine that's very doable the ability to feel empowered and still share solutions at a time of many closed doors um, you know I think we're very blessed to have this opportunity this platform uh, where we're still able to assist we've assisted thousands of individuals now that have had the Rona with our mm -hmm. protocols and nutritional supplements and empowering people on understanding how to give the body what it needs and knows what to do with. And also on the emotional, spiritual level of not holding the anger, the gripe, the hate, um, liberating and releasing and um, feeling again. And I think that that's another element that we've both really connected with with all of the trauma that, I mean, I, this isn't your episode of all that, but I'm sure if you're reflecting at this, like, and again, end of the year, it just feels goosebumpy, right. but like the mom, the like loss of life, all of the elements of things that have happened of like, when we feel, when we come inside and we, and we get in our bodies, and I think that's why we both love dancing every week, is like, not only is your lymphatic system need to be moved to support detoxification, but we hold energy stagnated totally. and yep. um, we hold emotions and we hold trauma. And when we feel our heartbeat and that's the idea of like that baby on your chest or the child on you, it, that's when we connect as humans again. And that's when we can really discern what is real, what is true and what is good. Um, and if we can stay focused on that, then we can, again, kind of muffle the noise of, of everything else that doesn't sure. matter. Yep. Yep. Um, do you want to share on, um, garden stuff sure. and acres <laughs> and, and uh, orchard and what you're doing um yeah so I, I mean hear about that yeah so I think another connection for Becky and I as we evolve through the bad season I still want to call it the bad season is that allowed yeah I, I think, think so. it still is it still is the bad season yes um you know both of us are really getting uh in that slowdown I launched well Becky moved remember in March right mm -hmm. of 2020 and um 
I put in some garden beds along that time and then um, had extra stuff. So Becky gardened like right along with me um, in probably a more successful, I don't know of your past gardening experiences, but for me, it was one of my more successful attempts. <laughs> it had a plan. It had a strategy. Mm-hmm. There was like a layout of where seeds go. And um, Becky was sharing last episode how now her garden beds are like way elevated. Oh, yeah. They, they're happening. There's trenches and PVC trenches pipes. Trenches and, and a Wi-Fi sprinkler system. And, yes. And um, I'm still out there battling caterpillars and like that part I'm like you you just need to get in there and like be with it every day and I think that is too like a a really grounding experience like yes you know I have to pick the caterpillars off I'm not just gonna like spray them with something right well and that's the part of I think with the times you know realizing again we've always been passionate about having an intimate connection with our food system and voting with our dollar and farmers market and xyz but Um, really how can you be empowered during this time versus victimized because you want to continue to hold vibration and space and I think not only the antidepressant functions of soil Mm -hmm. but this is the time to really act not to get too dramatic with your bunker reference but inflation and food shortages are real Um, and this is the time to definitely learn to grow your own food probably start to learn about some forms of food preservation um, and definitely learn about water sourcing and other elements that you can slowly start to feel again empowered by in your grand scheme of how you're supporting your household and your family. Um, So with the orchard, um, we have uh, just over, I think, three quarters of an acre that's fenced in a high fence and it's like a cedar and wire fence um and so our property is 15 acres and this is like a part of the property like the second half of the property um middle of the valley i guess and um we have a high fence that's eight feet and um within that we have a smaller fence that's about chest high where we'll have eight garden beds and then uh, 25 to 30 fruit trees we have the chicken coop already built um and so i can house up to 24 chicks chickens not chicks uh chickens in that uh chicken coop which i will not purchase till we move in that would be sad for the chicken's sake um but it's kind of like a cutesy she shed right now that we're gonna spend some time camping in and such because there are coyotes and black bears and Mm -hmm. all sorts of predators on our property that we want to be mindful of um and then we're right now looking at uh the barn space uh which will also have some you know guest lodging um space and full kitchen um, I'll have my food dehydrator there, and I'm also looking at um, a, it's, it's like a, a, a flash freeze or a freeze dryer, I guess okay. it's called. Um, there are these really cool, like almost walk-in fridge looking deals, and um, to do like asparagus or um, even proteins and things, we'll dehydrate some jerkies and stuff too when we're really playing with things, but the idea was that we wanted to be able to, of course, of what we're producing in the orchard, mm-hmm. do stuff with sure. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's super exciting. I know that when all goes into action, I'm going to have to, again, take a re-evaluation and look at my clinic schedule and say, okay, well, now I can only do two days, not the three that I've picked back up again. And how does this lay things out? Um, but when I look at like a full circle of my life, even prior to functional medicine back in 20, uh, 2003, when Brady and I started dating, um, we together on our journey together of falling in love, learned about food and got passionate about ingredients and quality and played with farming and dabbling with uh, working at farms, not farming ourselves back in 20, uh, 2006. 
And um, then once I moved to Houston, it was like only farmer's market and very failed attempts of okra. And um, from 2015 onward, a lot more passive play, like learning food producers and going out to ranches and such. But um, that really, 2020 made it action of getting our hands back in the soil and being an integral part. And um, now we're teeing up for a serious commitment and role in 2022. So... I am excited for all of the learning curve that will come. We're going to plant figs, peaches, pomegranates, um, some citrus like Meyer lemon and limes and um, play with olives. And then we'll have a bunch of herbs and produce and all of that. And um, Stella's already having a blast even just like crawling through the chicken coop doors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like playing hide and seek and climbing the fences. And um, I think it'll be such an awesome experience that I didn't have in my childhood. But that, that simplicity of task completion um, especially in an entrepreneur mind when like everything's like vision and and hunting and going 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 forward again that push 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 to get back into the simplicity of like washing dishes like there's the pre there's the active and there's the done right (laughs) to get back into that with a focus of my life I think will be very therapeutic very grounding and um, meditative if you will totally totally Uh, so now that we've got the update on your property let's just maybe close with some action items for yeah. listeners. So this episode started <laughs> talking about functional medicine career and then um, evolved, but let's talk about that first. So if you are looking to make wellness a career, what's your like elevator pitch? Yeah, so I would say do? find a, a location in your area that you could create and, and make an opportunity into um, or find a mentor and pick their brain, but I would literally create like a one to two sheet letter pitching my services. Um, providing some stats on how you could monetize for them and how you could gain them some revenue. Sell yourself to a space. Doesn't matter if there's a Craigslist ad. Those don't exist much anymore, I don't think. But um, (laughs) create a position. Um, Find what you want to do and sell it to someone. And they don't have to pay you a salary. You can just cut them a percent of what you're going to make from their population. So there's no risk involved for them. Show where you can add value and then give to grow. Um, niche in your target so don't just go broad focus on are you doing gut stuff are you doing hormone stuff are you doing eating disorders are you doing um, detox focus in on one niche um, because there's just such a broad competition we find that ourselves still like the naturally nourished food is medicine for whole family so broad that it's really hard to sell because it's for all of the life cycles. Right. So there's like 17 million ads or things we'd have to put out to target the audience because it's everyone, which also feels like then it's no one. So I think that that's something to always continue to watch and learn and honing in on a niche is important. Um, I think it's too much competition to just cold call online, create a brand. Um, I think you definitely need the hybrid model of local as well. Sure. And Again, that's what keeps the pulse. That's what keeps the human element. And I can't be more outspoken about that being important of how we get all get through this. Yep. Um, what about just if recalibrating life or looking to rediscover passion or, or just get through a rough time? Yeah. So I think the first thing you need to do is get back into your body every day. And so if you don't have anyone that you're living with, and um, you've been more isolated, um, not sleeping in bed next to someone, don't have a child to hold, um, definitely ensure that you have a pet. Literally, I think you need to touch something with a heartbeat at least every three days. 
That's yeah. just a made-up thing, but I feel like, right, that feels important. Get a pet. I think that's a great idea. A heartbeat I mean, access point, yeah. absolutely, because that helps us to bring ourselves back to, again, human, and then get into feeling your body, so um, movement is key. Uh, we will be doing some movement activity in the Women's Wellness Workshop out here that we're going to be doing in a couple weeks, um, where Jody's going to kind of get people probably a little nervous and outside of their comfort zone, but even just shaking or bouncing or putting your hand on your heart and tapping, um, tapping your left and right shoulder with your arms crossed back and forth and asking yourself what you need um, is really important way to kind of, again, know what is real to you. I would say prioritizing and editing your commitments. Um, I will give you guys the extension of that Adrenal 99 code for Adrenal Rehab because that's a really great program to help you assess where, 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 where you are in stress um, and where you are in um, over commitments. And then also um, we have to look at um, being authentic throughout the entire process. So separate from self-doubt. Figure out spaces where there are incongruencies with what you're doing in your life that aren't your authentic self and make an attack plan, but be at peace with the present and focus on how you can manifest freedom and even at times of stress, how you can work with the mind speak of again, you can be at peace with the present and still know that you're on a constant process of change, um, but that everything is within your control in the sense of like, I choose this stress. Um, and working with mantra of the things that you need to recalibrate. I love it. Um, anything in the naturally nourished world to look out for or, or any exciting updates there as we close out? I would just say the biggest fun thing there has been um, continuing to share, like I said, the podcast, the protocols, and all of these things um, that are free access points to give you the nitty gritty of what you need. I've been having so much fun with Patreon, so I'll link that here again, my uncensored voice. And then our ambassador program has been so fun to grow, um, meeting other like-minded individuals that are passionate about the Naturally Nourished Supplement line and using this as a platform to grow their understanding of functional medicine, their understanding of how to empower others with formulas that have clinical outcomes and really understand about the human body in each kind of segment of from its probiotic to detox to so much more and helping them to understand what their unique niches are in the wellness space has been really fun. So we will link also the ambassador application. We will be, we will be um, inviting new ambassadors in the spring. So you got about three months out to start working on what your vision is there and you can fill that out and um, we'll be bringing in some newbies to join the family in spring. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.